Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for December 18th, 2017. On today's show, in our feature presentation, I'm going to play for you my interview with director Ryan Johnson talking about spoilers for Star Wars The Last Jedi. And in the spoiler room, I will be joined by a couple of guys from SlashFilm.com to discuss the Star Wars The Last Jedi spoilers. So if you haven't had time to to geek out with your friends and talk about all the surprising revelations from this movie, uh, we will spend some time after this interview to, to discuss those. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to play this interview with Ryan Johnson. I conducted this interview Friday. That's why I wasn't here on the podcast. I was busy doing uh, Last Jedi interviews, which, uh, by the way, uh, thanks to the guys, uh, Ben, Jacob, HT, Chris, everybody for putting together that episode of Slash Film Daily without me. It was the first time I got to listen to the show, not as a host, but as a listener. And it was uh, it was great. Uh, but yeah, so we did these interviews on Friday on the Walt Disney lot. Uh, before the interview, we were asked to, to hold the spoiler sections until January 15th uh, by Ryan Johnson. But uh, later that day. He held a uh, a Q and A with Entertainment Weekly, and Entertainment Weekly, uh, I guess, accidentally broke the embargo, so all hell broke loose. And over the weekend, everybody published their uh, their spoiler interviews. So, so the spoilers have been unleashed. Uh, but I'm glad that Disney has you know set up a time for us to talk with Ryan Johnson after seeing the film, so we could actually delve into you know his choices and uh, you know what actually happens in the film and not just be talking, you know, around marketing. So I should warn you, if you have not seen Star Wars Last Jedi, I, w- I would shut off this podcast and listen to it at a later time because this whole podcast is going to be massive spoilers for episode eight. So if you have not seen that film, turn it off now. This is your last warning. You will be spoiled to a massive degree. Here's my interview with Ryan Johnson. Can you talk about... uh Subverting expectations and killing Snoke. Yeah, I mean, it. so, I mean, I guess the first thing to say is coming into writing this or any story, 
the object is not to subvert expectations. The object is not surprise. Yeah. I think that would lead to some contrived places. The object is drama. And, and in this case, the object was figuring out path for each one of these characters where we challenge them and thus learn more about each of them by the end of the movie. So that having been said, Kylo's arc in this movie, I saw as, okay, I want, besides his relationship with Rey, the big arc for Kylo in this movie was breaking down this kind of unstable foundation that he's on and then building him to where by the end of the film, he's no longer just a Vader wannabe, but he's stepped into his own as kind of a quote-unquote villain, but a complicated villain that you understand, yeah. right? So with that in mind, the idea that Kylo would get to that place by the end of it led me to think, well, then what is Snoke's place at the end? Does that work with him just kneeling before Snoke at the end? No, if Kylo's got to get to a place of actual power, the ultimate expression of that would be him, you know, ascending beyond his his master. Uh, and that also then gives the opportunity to have a great dramatic moment that you don't expect of getting getting Snoke kind of out of the way. Um, so that really is where it all it all stemmed from. It was it was thinking about Kylo's path, thinking about where I wanted him to be at the end of the movie to set him up for the next film, and thinking, okay, that means we're going to clear away this slightly more familiar dynamic of the uh, emperor and the the pupil, clear the boards from that, and then that's much more exciting going into nine, the notion of now we just have Kylo as the one that they have to deal with. Um, yeah. You can no longer take a rational guess at how the, the Snow Kylo thing is going to play out in the next movie. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's exciting. Uh, um, Kylo says that line, uh, kill the past, yeah. and, uh, whatever. It seems like your movie is kind of also kind of representative of that. Like, to move on with Star Wars, yeah, to move yeah. on to the future, you kind of have to let go of... Uh, well, it's an interesting aspect of it. It's an interesting theme. And it's, you know, for me, the balance was... Because Kylo is saying that, and interestingly to me, Luke is kind of saying his own version of that as well. And... Uh, it's really Ray who is the balance who I think, and Ray is where my heart lies in terms of in that theme and where we end up by the end of the movie because I do believe that I mean I understand the um, kind of that fiery instinct of burn down the past, cut off from tradition, forge forward in your life, don't look back. Every one of us has had an example in our life where we've felt that or acted that out in some way. I also think if you think you're leaving the past behind or cutting it off you're fooling yourself and the, the real way to move forward is by building on that is by realizing what you take and what you leave from the past not holding on to it too closely like the lesson of luke and and the tree with yoda but building off of what it's worth and moving forward from there which is what ray lands on and that ultimately is where my heart's at that's i hope kind of also on a meta level expressed in the movie how Hopefully it still feels like a Star Wars movie and pays some things off, but also does do some things that are unexpected and takes yeah. us some new places. Does uh, You mentioned Rey. Uh, we get the revelation that she is from no one of yeah. significant uh, value. Can you talk about coming to that? Is that yeah. You enter this? Like, that was your, like... 
No, that was that that was a like everything else in the movie that I came to through a process of breaking the story and figuring it out. And the nice thing was I didn't. It was very. I was very thankful that I didn't have. There was no slip of paper that was handed to me that said raise parents or so and so. Yeah. The fact that I had the freedom to figure it out meant that for this story I could figure out the most dramatically potent answer to that question. But you talked to JJ about it. I did. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he didn't. No, he didn't dictate. He didn't have any, any idea. No. Well, I don't know. I mean, he might have had thoughts in his head <laughs> what it was going to be, but he didn't didn't dictate them to me. He left it left it yeah. open, you know. Um, so for me, the the reason it lands there, I mean, first of all, I think I, I enjoy the notion of of disconnecting, you know, the idea of have it of tapping into this power in yourself and having the it, I like the idea of disconnecting that from lineage I think that feels in a anyone can be president type way I think that's kind of nice but the bigger thing was you know if, if, you, if you look at for example the Vader I am your father moment from Empire uh, I think that moment's so powerful because it's the hardest possible thing that Luke could, and the audience could hear at that moment you know, it takes away the easy answers, basically. We thought he was just a bad guy that we could hate and want to kill. With that one sentence, suddenly it's more complicated than that. It's harder than that. If Ray in this movie, if someone had told her, yes, here's the answer, you are so-and-so's daughter, here's your place in this world, here you go, that would be the easiest thing she and the audience could hear. It would hand her on a silver platter her yeah. place in all this. The hardest thing for all of us to hear, and the thing that she doesn't want to hear, and maybe we don't either, is that no, you this is not going to be something where it's going to define you. You're going to, and in fact, the fact that you don't have this is going to be used against you by Kylo to try and pull him into your orbit. This is going to be hard, and you're going to have to stand on your own two feet and define yourself in this story. Um, I have a, qu- a couple, like, just questions that people I, I, I yeah. talked to that saw the film have. Yeah. Quickies. Yeah. Uh, was the flower guy that Maz said was that Canto Bay, was yeah. that actually the original yeah. person? And DJ was not the person that Oh, that yeah, was. yeah, yeah. No, the Master Codebreaker, yeah, was originally, gonna, that, that's the guy. And then they didn't find the guy, but they found a guy. <laughs> what is the black hole thing that Bray goes into? Oh, you mean the, the cave? Yeah, the cave. Well, the idea that in this natural place, reflect if this place is very potent with the force, that the temple, and originally there was more dialogue that kind of talked about this that fell away to the wayside. The idea that if there's a Jedi temple up top, the light, it has to be balanced by a place of great darkness. Similar, I mean, you know, obviously similar. We're drawing a very obvious connection to Luke's training and to Dagobah here, obviously. And so... Uh, the idea was down if the up top is the light, down underneath is the darkness, and she descends down into there and has to see, just like Luke did in the cave, her greatest fear. And her greatest fear is in the search for identity that she is has nobody but herself to rely on. I like what you did with time in that sequence. Oh, cool. um, what uh why didn't anybody respond? When Leia called for help. Oh, for you mean on the galaxy? Yeah. Well, we don't get their perspective in this movie, so we, we just get the perspective of the folks. But the, my assumption and the assumption of the folks in the resistance in that cave and Leia's assumption is that they assume that hope is lost and that the fight is that there's there's you know for whatever reason they assume that they can't win this battle and that the first order is you know 
the, the hope is the spark of hope is out and that's the whole thing that Luke restores when he comes back and that's what starts spreading it back out into the galaxy after he does his big big act at the end I think is there any chance Phasma survived this film Phasma is the Kenny of these movies <laughs> so there's always a chance but I don't know I'm I'm uh, JJ is writing the next one, and I have no idea what he's doing. So all, all bets are off. Um, did Yoda know that Ray took the books? Oh, of course, yeah. So that's why he was like, so didn't care. Yeah. Well, and also he has a line, and if you watch it again, listen. He makes explicit reference to her. She has everything he need or she needs. That's why when I saw it the second time, I was like, oh, uh-huh. uh, you yeah, sneaky no, little yeah, no, you, muppet. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Can you talk about uh, yeah. getting? Frank Oz back. Oh my God, man! So, so he. Uh, when I realized that uh, Yoda was going to have a place in this story, and also I realized, okay, and it's Luke and Yoda in the last, and the Yoda that Luke has the emotional connection with is one from the original trilogy. I thought, oh, holy shit, we got, we can, we can do the puppet. And so Neil Scanlan, our creature supervisor, his team found the original mold. They meticulously recreated the puppet Frank came and spent like three weeks not even rehearsing but just working with the puppet puppet engineers on getting the balance of it and getting it all perfectly right they tracked down the woman who painted Yoda's original eyes and had her paint new (laughs) eyes for him I mean we just every single thing and then Frank uh, we had a magical night where Frank and Mark Frank came and puppeteered the Yoda He's down there underneath the boards with the headset on, watching the monitor down there doing his magic. And, and we shot the scene the way they would have back when they did Empire. It's pretty cool. <laughs> no, it, it, that scene was awesome. Pretty fucking cool. Um, th- when did you decide that Luke had to die? It was something very early on that started to feel right to me. It was something that I, and it was a process. It was like, oh, is it? And very early, I, I, you know, when I thought, when I kind of landed on where Luke's head was at and what his arc was going to be in terms of moving from someone who's decided the galaxy is better off without Luke and the Jedi to fully embracing the galaxy needs a legend to believe in. I'm going to put this on my shoulders and be the legend of Luke Skywalker for everybody. Hmm. Um, when I knew that was his arc, I had the instant tinge of that means that's the place for him to because what else can he accomplish in the physical realm beyond that that's the that would be the place emotionally that would have the most impact for him to 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 let himself go and also the notion that that actually sets up and again I don't know what's going to happen in 9 at all but the idea that there's actually more potential for more interesting things in terms of his role in the final chapter if he moves into another realm. He could be a force ghost haunting It's fascinating, isn't it? A lot more fascinating than him just tagging along with our heroes with a lightsaber. So uh, to me, it, 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 it opened up more potential and it seemed like, especially having a full film that is Luke's journey, it seemed like if there's any place in the trilogy where it's going to have the most potent in place it would be here but believe me I, I wasn't I wasn't looking forward to doing it uh, uh, the passing of Carrie Fisher obviously everybody's probably asking about that yeah. and the film's dedicated to her uh, I want to ask creatively yeah um, was there ever thought of like yeah. edit, edit, changing the film because you could have had her where Hol- like Holdo is or sure it could have I, I, and 
and yeah, we I had the discussion with Kathy when we came back from New Year's after she had passed and looked through the scenes. I, I, I you know, we decided, and I felt very strongly that even though it was going to be tricky in terms of how you handle in the next chapter, we have this last performance from her. I couldn't see of any way of engineering something like what you're talking about without losing Luke, the scene with her and Luke, or the scene with her and Ray at the end, or the scene with her and Holdo. And then we'd be manufacturing something which would be manufactured and not great. And I just felt like this is those scenes are such potent goodbyes to her. I felt like we all deserve to have them up on screen. And it's such a beautiful ending, the fact that she kind of gets the last word in the movie and those last word, that last word is one of hope. We have everything we need. I want Princess Leia to tell me that right now, you know? <laughs> so decided to stick with what was there. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, I think you were successful it. on that. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And joining me to talk Last Jedi spoilers is Slash Home Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Slash Home Weekend Editor Brad Omen. Hey, that's me. Brad, you've been busy, but you, you got to see Last Jedi at least once, right? Oh, not only did I see The Last Jedi once, but I made sure to see it three times this past weekend. Wow, you you have me beat. I've only seen it two times. Jacob, have you seen it more than once? Uh, so far, once. I'm gonna wait till January when I can really have some time to really soak into it. I have too many things to watch for end of year stuff right now. Yeah, and uh, Jacob, I know you talked a little bit about spoilers on Friday's episode of Slash Film Daily, uh, but we, we, you didn't de- dive deep into that. It was more of like the broad strokes of why you love the film. So. Uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about some of the stuff that I talked with uh, Ryan Johnson about. So let's start with uh, Killing Snoke. Uh, you know, Snoke was kind of set up as kind of like the new emperor by J.J. Abrams in The Force Awakens. And I think a lot of fans are kind of disappointed that he is kind of just quickly offed uh, with uh, almost no, you know, celebration in, in, in The Last Jedi. I wanted to hear what, what do you guys think of uh you know, how Ryan subverted expectations and killed off Snoke. I think this is great. I think that Ryan Johnson realized that Snoke was very much the Emperor Part 2. He was another all-powerful, mysterious guy with incredible force powers who was manipulating a Skywalker, in this case, or a Solo, whatever you want to call Ben Solo or Kylo Ren at this point. And he realized, in line with the rest of the movie, that we can't do the same thing again. We can't keep repeating our cycle. It's time to start over new. So by taking him and building up that movie, he's doing incredible things. You've never seen now with the force. He's like, it's all powerful force wizard. And he's killed so suddenly. And so without such fanfare by a character who's so much more nuanced uh, and so much more interesting and so much more human and so much more 2017 in a way. And that's Kylo Ren. To me, it's such a huge reflection of what makes the movie special as a whole, which is, the old systems, the old villains, the things you've seen before, they no longer fit in this new universe. Uh, so I, I was delighted by it. I, I cackled when I realized that was what was happening. But uh, I've talked about this before. I've written about this. Uh, Brad, I'm curious about your thoughts here. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I, what I love is that it's not just about subverting expectations for the sake of subverting expectations. It's for the sake of the evolution of Kylo Ren, of realizing that he doesn't need to fit into the constructs of what the Sith used to be and what the First Order has inherited from the constructs of the Empire and the dark side uh, force users that came before them. 
Uh, Kylo Ren comes to the realization that the only way that he can move forward and progress and really, you know, become who he should be, or at least he thinks like the way, best way to get rid of the conflict is to be in control of his own destiny and not let anybody else control him or who he is. And so as much as it goes along with the idea of, you know, Star Wars evolving and changing that idea, it's it really feels necessary for Kylo Ren as a character to continue his arc and continue this journey that he's going on because uh, he's still very much someone who is still conflicted about his feelings. You know, that's why uh, he doesn't kill Leia. And that's, you know, that's why he kills, you know, who was his master. He's still, he's constantly rethinking his approach to ruling and who he's supposed to be. And I think that's what makes him one of the, the most interesting villains that we've seen in the Star Wars universe since Darth Vader. Um, oh, sorry, uh, I was going to say, I, I hate to be the wet blanket here. Um, <laughs> I, I did love the movie. I'm not a whiny fanboy that is mad that, you know, they have, change star wars uh it's not coming from that place of fandom it's uh it's kind of um this is the first star wars movie that i came out of not hugely excited to see what's next and it's not because um i'm trying to think of how to word this uh this movie was awesome Okay, uh, but I feel like so much that happened in this movie is stuff I was expecting to happen in like the third of this trilogy, and it doesn't leave a lot of meat on the bone to explore for the third one. I think when you kill off Snoke, uh, you basically leave the bad guys as Kylo Ren, who is a great all around character, conflicted. I you know I agree with you, Brad, on all those counts. But then his you know second in command is General Hux, who has been turned into a laughable buffoon in this movie. Um, you know, there really isn't much to the bad guys now. You know, Phasma has been killed off, maybe. And, uh, like, it's just, uh, what is supposed to happen? Hey, what? I disagree, I disagree, though. Like, like, do we really need an old white guy in a robe to make the villains interesting? I think Kylo Ren... Oh, I, I don't think you need I, an old guy in a robe to make him interesting, but who is... How is... Uh, I think Kylo what, Ren, what is supposed to happen in the third chapter of this trilogy? Like, what is supposed to? Like, we don't how, know, and that's exciting. The yeah, fact we don't know that is great. Yeah. Isn't that so cool that like you don't have really have much of an idea of how this is it, going to go now? It, it is and isn't like if you if you had in season two of Breaking Bad had Walter White kill off Jesse, uh, you could have gone on with that series, but they had this overall arc. Uh, even though, it, you know, that wasn't intended at first. I understand that uh, overall arc with those characters. Like, I feel like when when you make a drastic change like this, it feels like a lot of that setup that they did in Force Awakens was for nothing. It feels like well, kind of like, uh, uh, wait, like, I guess what I'm worried about and we'll talk about this later is there isn't a Kevin Feige for the Star Wars series. And it, it, that kind of worries me. Well, Kathleen Kennedy has that role. She's the one who's making these choices, and she's the one who's saying, "Yes, this is a good idea. Let's do it." I, I know people like to like to yell at her because she, because she is in charge of the biggest franchise in the world, and people in all spectrums find things to yell at her about. But I think that if if anybody out there who I trust to safeguard Star Wars and realize what choices are right, I I put my faith in her. So, I, well, I, while I do agree with what Jacob is saying in spirit, I'm not necessarily sure that Kathleen Kennedy has the same reverence and knowledge 
of the Star Wars universe at large in the same way that Kevin Feige does the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Comics Universe. Well, I'm not even talking about in that respect. I'm talking about the fact that, like, Kevin seems to have a game plan of where they're going. And from what I know, and I know this to be 100% true, I can't tell you how, from what I know, every filmmaker that comes on to do the Skywalker series is basically told, do whatever you want. You know, uh, you know, there's guidelines of how, you know, stuff works. You know, the Lucasfilm story group will help you with, you know, what the force can do and what it can't do. Uh, you know, Kathleen Kennedy is obviously involved in where she wants the direction after they come up with the script, as we've seen with Colin uh, Trevorrow's version. But I was told by, you know, Ryan Johnson and a bevy of other people that he was given kind of like whatever he wanted to do like you know even ray ray's parents he could have gone in any direction he wanted to go he wasn't like hanted something from jj saying it has to well, be that's, it's even it's even better then that's even that's great that's uh, I, I love that they trust the filmmaker to make that decision i mean i would much rather have three star wars movies three, three in a trilogy that maybe don't cohere as evenly as you know some as a tv show would but represent three very specific unique visions and we won't get that because abrams is returning and presumably the third one will be a little more in line with the with force awakens but i i love that if you go back and look at the original star wars George Lucas of the 70s is not the Lucas who made the prequels. He's, he's a very specific artist with very specific things on his mind. That's a movie very much about what interests him. Yeah. And The Last Jedi is a movie about what interests Ryan Johnson. I'd rather have film, films about things that interest these filmmakers. I mean, uh, I, I, Abrams, I, I, I'm not yeah. arguing against. Like, okay. I feel like this is okay. the problem with this whole. Anybody that has a criticism about Last Jedi, and I know a lot of them are idiots, so it's it's easy to gang up on them. <laughs> but it's it's easy to like paint them as like, oh, you don't want filmmakers to have their original. And no, I didn't say that. I said I just wish there was like some kind of broad strokes. Do you know what I mean? Like like four lines of this is what we want to happen in this movie. This is what. Do you know what I mean? Like I this to me, it, the thing that worries me is this was like. In the context of a TV show, this is like an amazing episode of television. This is like, you know, what, episode nine of Game of Thrones every year? That's what this was. But it's also as if Game of Thrones didn't have a showrunner and they hired, you know, the next guy to do his own episode and he doesn't, he can do whatever he wants with it. And that kind of worries me. I, I guess if we continue the TV comparison, I want to hear Brad's thoughts on this because he's been quiet. We, I've been yelling a lot. Uh, Breaking Bad, when they wrote the first scene of the final season, they did not know the ending. They, they, they if you go read interviews with the, with the writers, it's holy yeah. crap, how do we get here? I have no idea. Let's figure it out in the moment. And that's why I have a hard time. But being they, mad but they knew at the beginning it. of that season where they wanted to go. Like they, they didn't. I, I just read a book about this. Alan Sepulveda's new book on Breaking Bad covers this. They wrote all these scenes and had no idea, and they figured out as they went. And that's kind of the huh. magic of, of of this kind of storytelling is let's do something bold. And jump out into the out in, out into the water, so to speak, and see where we swim. Yeah, and this might not be the best comparison, uh, since the finale ended up being not as satisfying as everyone hoped. But a show like Lost, they didn't have everything figured out either, and they just they, see, they that, figured that, out that, that is the biggest best example of what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, I know, I, and I get what you're saying, but I think in this case, just because they and, don't, and, and I want to be clear, I don't want everything planned out. I just like wish you know. Yeah. I get what you're saying, but I think that in the, when we're dealing with a trilogy of films, that's not exactly the same as you know a a six season uh, TV series that has twenty odd episodes every every season. You know, like this is a much tighter story. Yeah. Uh, we have we you know there's there's still an a, an idea of what Star Wars should be, even though Ryan Johnson has you know effectively 
subverted some of those expectations and changed the game a little bit. But we still like there's still the idea of you know where these characters are are on their journey, and you know that there's still conflict between them. The the rebellion has been sparked sparked again, and so it's not as if we're you know a babe in the woods lost and wandering look you know looking for help like there's still some structure here an idea of where we can take these characters and if anything i think this movie has helped define those characters in a much more compelling way that will make episode nine that much more engaging and interesting okay let's let's move on from this because we have a lot to talk about this is just like one of the things um and by the way i want to say i did love how they killed off snoke it's just a kind of. Um, it doesn't mo- sound like it, Peter. In, in the moment in the film, the film works greatly. I'm just not sure, and I know it's too early to tell. It just feels like they're kind of cutting the ends and leaving dead ends of stuff that should have been leading into that final trilogy or final uh, film. But let, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, Ray's parents. Okay, uh, you know, this is something we, we thought was probably going to come in this film, right? Uh, that, that we would find, finally find out who was Ray's parents. In this film, we find out her parents of, uh, at least, you know, Kylo Ren tells her. And, you know, that's a uh, unreliable narrator. But we, we, we take it as a, as a fact. It is uh, that her parents are of, uh, of no significant value. It's not Luke Skywalker. It's not Carrie Fisher. It's not, you know, uh, Han Solo. It's, it's you know, just some random people in the Star Wars galaxy. Brad, what do you think about that? Uh, again, this is something that I was so satisfied to see come to fruition. It was one of the ideas that was out there. And it has such important ramifications for the Star Wars universe, because it uh, respectfully, in a way, does away with the idea of um, midichlorians and people being destined to become a Jedi and being strong in the Force. And in this case, you know, there's no importance of bloodline. Uh, you know, there's no simply just having it passed down to you. It's anybody can be strong in the Force if they, you know, just reach out to it and you know, deep, dig deep within themselves. And Ray coming from nothing and becoming this person who rivals, you know, the, uh, the character who Luke saw such, you know, strong power in is something that is incredibly exciting. And Ryan Johnson does a great job of showing, you know, how important a character like that is, not just in inspiring the rebellion in the movie, but also just audiences in general. Like, th- this gives such hope for people who maybe don't feel like, you know, they come from, uh, you know, a-, a family that has, you know, given them a path to follow. And, you know, uh, people who, you know, come from families with little means and-, and things like this. Like, it's the whole idea of inspiring hope and giving people something to strive for uh, is, is it's just a wonder- such a wonderful message for me. I mean, I, I agree with you that, you know, I, I love the idea that, you know, metachlorians don't count, uh, you know, that there isn't like a chosen one per se that like, you know, anybody that can, you know, will the for you know, anybody good that, you know, is able to 
you know, harness the force can harness the force. Uh, you know, they've always said that the force is around all of us. I love all those ideas. I love what this like kind of says for this generation, a generation that, you know, had a president that was from a single mother in Hawaii that like, you know, anybody can could do that. Um, it's a good message for today. Uh, I think uh, and again, I'm going to be. I think the thing I didn't like is I didn't like that it was used in the context of this kind of like Kylo trying to turn her like I I wish I wish we had some time to actually explore that idea explore the idea of like what Ray is thinking when she learns that information to explore like how she feels about that and and even the idea of like you know you don't have to come from special means to be special if that makes sense I I get what what you're saying but I think that Ray, I mean, like, like Kylo says in the movie, she already knew this. She just hasn't hadn't accepted it yet. And we we get we understand that because when she's in that cave that's under the Jedi Temple, she's the only one standing in her way. It's it's yeah. her it's her past and her identity that she hasn't figured out yet because she won't let go of trying to figure out who her parents are. She's the only obstacle in her way from moving forward and living up to this person that she can be, you know, the, the strong force user and, and this hero. And so I think that we get all the time that we need for her to accept it. And she's still, you know, broken about it to finally come to that realization. And so I think that that moment is, is, is perfectly executed because of course, Kyla would want to exploit her at the time she's feeling the most vulnerable yeah. and the most lost. I, I just wish that we had some time as in the film to actually explore the idea of a hero, that comes from nowhere. Do you know what I mean? And like her acceptance of that fact. Uh, Jacob, do you have any thoughts on this? I think Brad's echoed mine, but I do think this is a case where, where retroactively last Jedi makes the force awakens more interesting because knowing that Ray comes from nowhere and doesn't have Skywalker blood in her makes her scenes of her surviving on Jakku all the more thrilling and interesting. Uh, because it's no longer a case of, oh, who is this powerful lady? It's, oh, this lady's great. This lady takes care of herself. And I think it's a really good choice. And Brad to say what I had to say, so that's all. That's it for me. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Frank Oz re- reprising his role as Yoda. Well, it was kind of a great surprise in this film. Uh, I love that it was puppet Yoda. I love that it was, uh, you know, Frank Oz puppeting him opposite Mark Hamill. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on this, th- that scene? It's really good. Uh, I think that I love how Yoda and Luke have essentially come to the same realization, which is that the old ways need to end, whereas Luke's reached it through this sort of frustration, anger, and resentment, whereas Yoda is cackling and laughing and like being the old jokester we knew on uh, Dagobah. And I'll say I, I love Oh, and how... I, I love that it's that attitude from, you know, Empire <laughs> yeah. Strikes Back and not the prequels, that it's the... Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so tired of warrior general commander military yoda from the prequels that bores me to death i love i've been living on 30 years in the swamp and i am crazy yoda the one who's sort of i feel like the yoda who we meet in empire who's had time all alone to think long and hard about where he's been and what has happened and has reached this sort of uh, hippie phase of his life where things are where he's a little silly and funny and he's a he's cackling and is being a prankster but at the same time he's reached a grand understanding is so much more interesting than prequel yoda 
See, I, I think they tried to do some of that with Luke in this film. Like, you know, obviously when she hands him the lightsaber, he like throws it nonchalantly over his shoulder. And, you know, uh, her uh, being hit with the leaf, you know, do you feel the force thing? It feels kind of like Yoda. Uh, but- yeah, I, I, I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love that scene. I For some reason, I don't like the lightsaber. The lightsaber feels like, you know, it was such an important moment for her to give that lightsaber to him and like... And he must have so many memories about that. It seems like such a nonchalant kind of jokey moment to have there. But see, I don't know. People have laughed when every time I've seen that the movie when they when he throws a lightsaber. And sure, it's funny because it's not what you expect. And you know, usually in situations like that, people laugh when they don't know how else to react. But like that's just all that shows is that Luke is completely checked out. He has zero fucks to give about why she's there. And why she has his lightsaber, he's not getting back into this battle, no matter who she is and what he what she's brought with him. And so in that moment, I mean, I think that I think that's great. The fact that he just throws it off and he's just like, nope, don't care. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay let, let, let's talk about Luke Skywalker and. Oh, well, Luke Sky- hold on. I, I, I want to talk about Yoda really quick. So okay, go ahead. Talk. Um, I as much as I love all all of the stuff with Yoda and what he does and what he, the le- final lesson he teaches Luke. Uh, about failure, which I think is a phenomenal has phenomenal ties to George Lucas and the idea of the new filmmakers behind Star Wars learning from the failures that he made uh, in the prequels. I think there's there's so much there's so many layers there regarding that. Um, the one thing that was I didn't like about it is for whatever reason, for the first minute or so or the first couple of shots that we see Yoda, he looks really weird. Like, at first, I thought he was a, a CGI creation, and for some reason, he has this, like, darker shade of blue about him, but then as the scene progresses, he becomes a little bit lighter, and you you can really see that they brought the puppet back. Hmm. Or, um, I, I did not notice this. I've seen it twice. Yeah, I've in every single time, the first couple shots of Yoda, he, there's something about him that looks off to me, and, I, and at first, I thought it was just because he was digital, but now that we know that he, he's actually, it's actually a puppet effect... Uh, I don't know what it is or why why that is. I don't know if it's like a weird lighting thing or or what, but there's something about him that felt off to me for the first couple of shots. But then he looks perfect for the rest of the scene, especially once uh, he lights the the temple on fire and everything. So I don't, I don't know, but but yeah, I love the the whole bringing back Yoda. I was um, there were, there were three times in this movie where I had tears brought to my eyes, and Yoda coming back was one of them. Yeah, uh, let's move on to Luke Skywalker and his untimely death. Um, this is another thing that like a lot of fanboys are upset over. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of bummed out that he, he has died. I, I, I'm okay with it. Uh, I wish we would have a Skywalker in this final <laughs> movie. It seems like they were teeing up, you know, a confront confrontation between Kylo and Leia and we'll never get that now. Um, I, uh, I am kind of disappointed in the way that Luke dies, like it, the way he kind of like becomes exhausted and just like disappears. It uh, every time I, the two times I've seen the film, some a lot of people around me almost have like a I want to say surprised, almost like uh, they were con- confused reaction to it, like they aren't even understanding what's happening. Like, the, did he die? What, what's going on? Do you know what I mean? It, it it's uh it just felt like a weird way to go out because I maybe it's because we haven't established rules of astral projection and we don't know that like you know that's a thing that will exhaust you to death and obviously he's obviously uh leaving uh this existence after he has done what he needs to do and said what he needs to say but uh brad what about you 
Uh, no, I just, I, again, I'm so satisfied with Luke Skywalker's arc in this movie and the sheer, like, joy that I felt when, when you realize that uh, he's, you know, projecting himself through the Force to Kylo and messing with him um, and becoming and becoming the legend that is Luke Skywalker and giving hope to everybody who needs it during this time. By the way, who out of like the 20 people that were at that battle, like spread the word of that battle so that those kids in that, you know, in that Canto bite could be retelling that story. Like, you know, I mean, they did. I mean, they sent a message to their allies in the Outer Rim, so pretty sure it's not hard to I don't know. It's a little, little whatever. It, it's not that big of a deal. But, uh, Jacob, what are your thoughts on Luke's death? I think Brad was still in the middle of the thought there. Oh. I want to hear what he was saying. Oh, yeah. No, I just, uh, yeah, I just, um, I think that it's it's kind of the perfect send-off for Luke because his, his arc is complete. He's fulfilled, you know, he's become the legend that he didn't think that he could be, and he's become the legend that everyone thought that, that he was. Um, by you know challenging Kylo and giving people hope, and I, I I just love and he he gets moments with every single character that we want him to have moments with. You know he, he gets to talk to R two, uh, he uh, even that, the little that wink moment that, made me cry. Even the wink, the little wink that he gives to three PO is is great. Uh, and the last the last line that he has to Kylo is just is just great. You know it's 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 it's, it's just on that level of cocky older jedi master yoda in a way where he's just like see you around kid you know and i just i i, I loved it i was i was so satisfied with that arc because i was not expecting them to kill off luke and while it is kind of a bummer that we're now you know out of classic characters who will be in episode nine uh i i wasn't upset that we lost luke because a i think that he'll still be around in some capacity as a force ghost and b that's it's just one hell of a send-off for him jacob your thoughts on luke's departure from this franchise I love how Luke Forbes projects himself to have a haircut and a nicer beard and to be dressed nicer. That really, <laughs> I love how, oh, crap, I can go meet my sister for the first time in a year. And he has his nicer. lightsaber that, that is now gone. Yeah, but I, I like how Luke projects himself to be the idealized version of himself. I think He projects himself to be the version of himself that Ray wanted to see when she first arrived on that island. And, that, and, and it's him embracing the fact that, yeah, I, I'm no longer of use, but the memories of me are so let me let me gift something let me gift the one final luke skywalker tall tale to the galaxy to um help these kids fight the fight that i can no longer fight and it's also great because luke skywalker manages to do all of this without actually lifting a weapon he remains a pacifist in this movie the most violent thing he does is, is kill a fish so he can eat it uh he he is like this model of like jedi uh, pacifist resistance that I found really moving in a way. I'm, I'm not saying that the resistance is going to win by not killing a bunch of First Order Stormtroopers because they need to. <laughs> yeah. But I also do think the idea of Luke Skywalker winning a fight without actually being there is really powerful and a good and, and a and a really good lesson for activism. Like you know, how do you how do you support your cause um, under any all circumstances? I think it's. If you, if you want, I can talk about this and ramble for too long, but um... see, and I love the idea of that, and I love the scene in the movie. Uh, I just wish uh, there was some way to like explore that in the movie further. Than I don't know, it seems like there's a lot of interpretations of what's going on, and obviously, you know, that is what happened. But uh, do you think a kid seeing that is going to realize, oh, Luke won the day without any violence? Like, is that what they're going to take away from that scene? 
not necessarily, but I, I do think a kid's going to hear about Luke facing down a First Order army and, and say, wow, that's that's great. How can I be that? And and I said, Jordan, what you asked earlier, like, I'm just imagining, you know, First Order Stormtroopers in, uh, um, on bars and planets. Like, oh, I saw Luke Skywalker. He absorbed a thousand blaster hits. He's he's alive. Like, imagine the few remaining resistance um, people, like, just sharing their tales as they travel from planet to planet. I mean, when we see that kid, like, looking out to the stars, we don't know how long it's been. It could have been six months. I like the idea that what we don't see is heroes and villains are, like, whispering, oh, my God, Luke Skywalker, did you see that? Yeah. Did you hear about that? That's, oh, my God, what's next? There's, are there more Jedi? What's going to happen next? I I love how... And, and I want to say I was being, I was being a little bit facetious with the, the the how did the kid know that story. It's That's not something that bothers me. I was just be, I was just a joke. But. Yeah, but I also feel like I, I I was thinking about that myself, but in, in the opposite direction. So I wanted to make sure I get that out there because I love the idea of one final stand against an army uh, being talked about enough that some random kid has heard about that. That to me is uh, it's it's just a, a cool image to think about. Okay, so we we were originally going to talk about uh, what do we want to see in ep- episode nine. I think we're running out of time. Should we do it now, or should we should we hold it for later? How about we each do one thing we want to see, and then we can do a full feature about it later? Okay. Um, one thing I want to see, and I mentioned this in the interview with Ryan Johnson, so you probably already heard it, is I want to see Luke Skywalker. You know, he says in those last moments uh, against Kylo, see you around, kid. I want to see him return as a Force ghost haunting Kylo Ren. We we haven't seen that in any of the movies or TV shows. I think we've seen it in some of the books. Uh, I love the idea that you know Kylo Ren will not be able to get Luke out of his head, and he'll be kind of following him around for that final final film of this arc. Jacob, how about you? What I want to see, and this is kind of a bizarre thing, is that famously there's a few, a few years between the original Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and in that time period. That's when so many authors and comic book writers and artists uh, and even video games set the Star Wars stories because it's when Luke, Han, Leia, Chewie, the droids are all together and nobody knows, like there's so much space there to tell stories with those characters. So I guess the one thing I'm hoping for is a time gap. I want it to be a couple of years, maybe even a decade that, that, that passes between this movie and the next one so that for years we can we can have more Ray, Poe, and Finn stories set in this unspecified time. So that's kind of a kind of a cheat answer because it doesn't really apply to episode nine as much as it applies to space between it. But I want to see that jump so we can have space to have so many more stories. I mean, I think that you're going to have to do that because this film took place back to back. And, you know, by the time the next one comes out, uh, all the characters that were in it are probably now, what, six years older? All the yeah. actors and stuff. So I think you're going to have to take a time jump probably like five or six years. And uh, I would say that it's going to probably open with Leia's funeral. Brad, what is your idea for episode nine? Uh, honestly, I think at this point, since we're losing classic characters, what I would like to see, even if it's not in a large capacity role, uh, I'd like to see Lando Calrissian come back, even if it's just all of a sudden him being back on the resistance team as a general or something, uh, especially now that we've also lost Admiral Akbar and some of the other leaders of the resistance. I think it would be it would be very cool uh, to see to see a character like that make a comeback. I think that would be cool as well. Uh, well, we have run to the end of this podcast. Brad, where can we find your, more of your work online? Uh, well, now that I am done student teaching, you're going to find me back on Slash Film a lot more. Uh, also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And you can check out uh, my movie podcast that's full of 
movie trivia games and wisecracking and movie chatter called Go Flix Yourself on iTunes. So check that out. Jacob, where can we find more of you? I'm on SlashFilm.com every single day, and I'm on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. You can find me on SlashFilm.com. You can find me at SlashFilm on Twitter. You can find all the articles uh, talked about today on SlashFilm.com and in the show notes. Uh, you can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. You can send us an email to peter at slashfilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. And please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Spread the word. Uh, tell your friends. And we'll be back tomorrow with more Slash Film Daily. Thank you.